Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. God desires for you and myself to distinguish ourselves in the world in which we live. Each year, Hollywood gives out its awards for the best films and actors of the year. The Oscars are the most coveted award that a person in the film industry can receive because it indicates that they have distinguished themselves from everyone else in their field. Followers of Jesus don't receive a golden trophy, but do we distinguish ourselves? Do we stand out in our field? We need to look at some ways in which Daniel distinguished himself and what you and I can learn from Daniel in order to distinguish ourselves. I'm Rick Freeman. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're in our series entitled Daniel, Unshakable Faith, Unbreakable Promise. And today, Pastor Clay is taking us to Daniel chapter 6. You know, Daniel chapter 6 contains one of the most well-known stories in all of the Bible. It's the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Well, we're going to get into that story next week. But before we do, we're going to take a look today at how Daniel distinguished himself in his day and how we can distinguish ourselves as followers of Jesus today. A lot of you think, well, I, you know, I, I'm just me. I'm not special. I don't have any super gifts. Well, we'll talk about all that. We're always grateful when folks join us, and we pray today's message is one that God uses to meet you right where you are in your life and faith. Now here's Pastor Clay. Let's talk about distinguishing ourselves because we're going to look at a story in the Bible. You know, if you've been with us, we're working through a series in the book of Daniel. We're calling this series Unshakable Faith, Unbreakable Promise. Today, we're going to look at a guy who distinguished himself in an amazing way. Uh, If you happen to have a copy of God's Word with you, digitally or hard copy, old school, whatever it is, open to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Now, Daniel chapter 6 is an amazing chapter, uh, and it is probably, it contains probably the most or one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible. The story of Daniel in the lion's den. Who knows that story? Right? Almost everybody, even if you didn't grow up in church, you, you probably at some time or another heard something about some guy that spent some time in the lion's den. Well, we're not getting to that today. <laughs> the lion's den... Lord willing, will be next week. But before we get there, we need to look at some, some ways in which Daniel distinguished himself and what you and I can learn from Daniel in order to distinguish ourselves. Because let me say this to you, even as we start today, I, I want to make this clear. God desires for you and myself to distinguish ourselves in the world in which we live. You believe that? Now, a lot of you uh, don't, you acknowledge that, but a lot of you don't really believe that about yourself. A lot of you think, well, I, I, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just me, you know, I'm just, I don't, I'm not special, I don't have any super gifts, I don't have uh, whatever else. Well, we'll talk about all that. Distinguishing ourselves. Daniel chapter 6, we're going to read this morning verses 1 through 10. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one. That these satraps might be accountable to them, the commissioners, and that the king might not suffer loss. 
Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. And then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. And then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. Suck-ups. All the commissioners, notice, all the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Any law, once it was established, once it was given, once it was signed by the king, that law could not be changed, even if the king wanted to. It's how he kept control. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is the injunction. Verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the document was signed... He entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying, giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Distinguishing ourselves. Daniel distinguished himself in some ways. I want to look at those ways. I want to do it by asking it in the form of a question for us. We're going to start with this one this morning. Do we distinguish ourselves with our ability? Do we, do you and I distinguish ourselves with our ability or our abilities? Let's look at verse 1 through 3 again. It seemed good to Darius to to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. So uh, the the Medo-Persian Empire is is large. It's it's taken now over the Babylonian Empire um, and extended its territory And uh, so the king says, hey, I need to put 120 um, maybe governors, if you will, uh, over all the different regions and areas of of my empire so that they can uh, control that. Uh, But that's 120. Uh, How am I going to control those 120? How am I going to make sure uh, that they're they're not uh, ripping me off? And over them, verse 2, three commissioners of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them. And that the king might not suffer loss. You see the rationale of it? It's very logical. Verse 3. Then this Daniel began... What's that next word? Say it. Distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. 
If you were with us last week, you may remember that uh, I said, if, if I did the math right, uh, Daniel has been in Babylon now for uh, right, right at or right around 66 years. Carried there as a young boy, probably a teenager. Uh, he's been in, the, in, in Babylon for 66 years. He has been there now long enough to see uh, one empire fall, crumble, and another empire rise up. If you have been with us through this series, you may remember back in chapter 2, where we looked at Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and he saw the, the, the different parts of this giant statue and the golden head on top. That was Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. That empire has now fallen, and the shoulders and, and, the, and the chest uh, of uh, silver has now taken over, just as as Daniel predicted it would as he received the interpretation of the dream from God. The Medo-Persian Empire is now ruling the entire world. And Daniel uh, has been in that kingdom, had been in Babylon for 66 years when Darius comes to power in the kingdom. And he has been distinguishing himself really his entire life. It was, it was the fact that he distinguished himself, the fact that he stood out, the fact that he was, that he was different is the, one of the whole reasons he was carried off into captivity in the beginning. If you go all the way back to Daniel chapter 1, if you know the, the history of it, you know that, that the Babylonians, when they conquered uh, the city of Jerusalem, uh, they took the best and the brightest that, that Jerusalem had. They took the sharpest guys that they had, uh, men and women, I'm sure, to go back and, and, and be servants in, in their kingdom. So he was distinguishing himself even then. He distinguished himself then from the rest of the exiles of, of Judah. As they came into the land of Babylon, Daniel began to distinguish himself right away. And Daniel distinguished himself from all of the, the, the diviners and the satraps and the, the fortune tellers and that whole bunch that he'd been thrown in with. Daniel was distinguishing himself from them. He was standing out from them. And now Daniel is distinguishing himself as one of the three commissioners. They're over the entire kingdom. And Daniel is doing such a fabulous job. He's distinguishing himself to such a degree that the king says, man, I'm making that guy the head of everything. He distinguished himself by his ability. Now, Daniel had the ability. By the way, it was just one of his abilities. But Daniel had the ability to uh, tell and interpret dreams, which is a pretty cool ability to have. And pretty rare by the way. But more importantly than that, Daniel had the ability to glorify God through his life and through his actions. It was his ability to glorify God that made the difference and made Daniel stand out from the rest of everybody else. He's glorifying God through his actions, through his attitude, through all this stuff, through the abilities that he has Daniel is standing out. He's distinguishing himself. I, I was thinking I like to play a little golf now and then. Um, I think it's a great sport. Anybody in here play golf? Yeah, we've got a few golfers in here. All right. Yeah, yeah Mr. Jones, you're a big golfer. Uh, we, some of us like to, to play golf. It's a, it's a great sport. There are a lot of Christians in golf and professional golfers that are Christians. Did you know that? I think that just tells you something about the sport right there, that it just must be a little closer to God or something. I don't know. But uh, I don't know. I've mentioned him before, uh, but I don't know if you guys, if you've ever heard of a, a guy named Webb Simpson. Webb Simpson is a professional uh, golfer. Uh, he is the reigning uh, United States Open champion. He won the U.S. Open championship 
last year. Uh, Webb Simpson is a committed, devoted Christian, follower of Jesus. Uh, I, I'll never forget when he won his very first tournament uh, a couple years ago, the Wyndham Championship. Um, right afterwards, you know, the, the announcer comes up and is talking to him, and uh, you know, and he begins to to thank everybody and whatever, and then he just kind of stops and he says, "You know, what? I would be a fool if I did not." Uh, give glory to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for what he's done in my life. Of course, reporters never want to hear that, and the interview usually gets cut off pretty quickly. But the, the point is, here's a guy that has obviously tremendous ability, tremendous skills, and he's using them for the glory of God. That's what I'm talking about. Do we distinguish ourselves with our abilities in a way that glorifies God? That's what, that's what Webb is doing. Now, uh, well, let me, let me show you a couple passages of Scripture. Uh, look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. You may not be a professional golfer. You may not be able to interpret dreams. But whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Look at this one, Colossians three twenty three. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do your work heartily. Now, I think, that, I think it's an interesting word. Literally, from the heart, as for the Lord, rather than for men. You probably don't have the ability to interpret dreams, like I said. And you may be a, a good golfer, but you're probably not at the level that Webb Simpson is, or you're probably not ready to go on tour. But that doesn't mean that you don't have skills. That doesn't mean you don't have abilities. Now, some of those uh, skills or abilities uh, may be ones that you have acquired over a period of time through experience. Some of them uh, may be natural abilities, natural gifts that you they just, it just seems to, you just have it. You know, you know what I'm saying? Those kind of things. Some of the abilities that you have may be based on spiritual gifts that God gave to you when you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior if you have have done that. But the point is, you and I have gifts. We have abilities. We have skills. And the question is, are we using those to distinguish ourselves in such a way that God is glorified? For instance, uh, maybe you do something uh, primarily with your hands. I'm talking about for your occupation, which is fine. You can make money at that what you're skilled or experienced in or, or whatever else. That's not the question. The question is whether you're glorifying God with it. Maybe you're, you do something with your hands. You're a, you're a, a, a fabricator or a, a carpenter or a, a plumber or a chef or a surgeon or a nurse or a, a, someone that, that primarily works with their hand. Now, obviously, your mind as well, okay? But the, what you do, you do with your hands. Do you do that in such a way that distinguishes yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ? That's what we're talking about, in a way that honors God. That's the question. Is that, is that, do I look at myself in that respect and say, wow, God, whatever I have, whatever skills, whatever abilities, whatever experiences, whatever talents that I have, I lay it at your feet right now. Father God, I just, I just give it to you. I give myself to you. Whatever you can do with it, these, me, do it. I'm yours. When we do that, if, if we're willing to do that, we distinguish ourselves. And God is glorified through it. So, do we distinguish ourselves with our abilities? Here's, a, here's another one to think about. Do we distinguish ourselves by our morality? Look at verse 4 and 5. 
Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful, listen to this, and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. And then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. What an amazing statement. What an amazing statement. That these guys, this is not just a matter of stumbling across something. These guys are actively searching. They are digging to find something, anything, any ground of accusation or impropriety or immorality that they can bring before the king to get Daniel taken care of. Because Daniel is distinguishing himself, right? He's going to be made the, the head over everybody else other than the king. And so they, they've got, and they can't find anything, not a single thing. And I think it's safe to say that Daniel was certainly in a position to take advantage if he so, was so inclined to do. It would have been easy for Daniel to, to, to skim off the top or to cook the books or uh, to keep a bigger slice of the pie for himself or to make people do whatever he wanted them uh, to do, anything. He, he would have done that. And we all hear plenty of stories in the news all the time about, about politicians and power brokers and, and all these people that, that do that very sort of thing and, and it finally comes out about them, don't we? They can't find anything with this guy. Do we distinguish ourselves in that way? With our morality, Billy Graham, uh, who, you know, still, uh, even though he doesn't actively crusade or preach anymore, uh, well into his uh, 90s, Billy Graham uh, is still, I guess, the most famous evangelist preacher in the world. He has preached to tens of millions. Millions have made professions of faith as a result of his ministry. Billy Graham made two decisions early on in his ministry in regards to morality, to his, to his morality. One, Billy Graham made the decision that he would never touch any of the money that came into the ministry of Billy Graham Evangelistic Crusades. Never, wouldn't touch it. Wouldn't come near it, have nothing to do with salary, anything else like that. And listen, it's safe to say that hundreds of millions of dollars have flowed through that ministry through the years. He said, I will not touch the money. I don't, don't no, uh-uh. Second decision that he made is that he would never be alone in a room anywhere with any woman other than his wife, ever. No exceptions. And I said, well, I mean, isn't that a little old-fashioned? Well, let me ask you, how many times have you heard about a, an evangelist or a preacher or a politician or somebody getting in trouble sexually, ha- having an affair with their, uh, their secretary or administrative assistant or somebody like that. I'm sleeping with my secretary, by the way, but, but <laughs> it's, it's my wife, so it's, it's okay. <laughs> so, but do you, you understand what I'm saying? How, how many times? How, how many times? And, and Billy said, I, I, will not, I will not do it. If, if, a, if a female reporter wanted to interview him, a staff member had to be in the room, always. And it was just, it was just uh, he, he just put this down from the very beginning. This is how it's going to be. And, and as I said, how many times have we heard of somebody in some position of notoriety or fame or, or power position that has fallen due to some 
some immoral act, you know, ripping off the tape, taking the money and running, or getting in some sort of sexual problem. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying? Do we distinguish ourselves with our morality? Look at this uh, passage of scripture from. Uh, uh, oh yeah, thanks, Tyler. Um, I, I wanted to say this uh, to you. Daniel lived his life in such a way that was built upon this premise. Everything I do reflects on my God. Everything I do reflects on my God. And by the way, it does. So think about that. The next time you're tempted to leave early and let let somebody punch the clock for you. I mean, I know y'all would never do that, but that used to happen at the post office, let me tell you. The next time some, you understand what I'm saying? Everything I do, I believe Daniel lived by that principle. Everything I do reflects on my God. And therefore, Daniel had a moral standard, a moral code that was so much higher than, than those around him. And it distinguished him from those around him. Look at what Paul writes to the church in Philip, uh, or, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 5 first. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now that text primarily is dealing with the fact that as we minister in the world, as we serve those around us, as we do good, that that, that reflects on our God. But it certainly also would apply to the idea that, that by living a life that is good, by living a life that has a, a moral code to it, that that glorifies our God and it distinguishes us from those around us. And then Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, so that you will prove yourselves, watch this, to be blameless and innocent. Now, he's not saying you're perfect. None of us are, are we? But what he's saying is you live your life in such a way that you're blameless and innocent, children of God. Watch this, above reproach. That's where Daniel was. I mean, they'd love to find some mud to sling about Daniel and make it stick. Forget about sticking. They can't even find any mud. Above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Guess what? Guess what? We still live today in a world, what did Paul call it? Crooked and perverse generation. I'm not trying to throw this generation under the bus. I'm just telling us how it is. We live in a perverse generation. In a a world where, quite honestly, where the moral standard, the moral code, the moral bar has been set pretty low. As a matter of fact, we set our own bar now. I mean, by the world standards, you just set your own bar. Your own moral standard, what do you want it to be? Whatever you like, whatever you think, whatever is best for you in your life, that's your bar, that's how you ought to live your life. And Paul calls that a a perverse and crooked generation. No, our moral standards should be such that, that we stand out. Even, hey, can I say this? Even if it costs us something, and it probably will. Even if it costs to say, I, I don't, I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm going to take the extra measure to make sure so that, that it not only does it not come out, if people go digging, if they go looking, they're not finding nothing in my life like that because, because that, I'm just going to live my life in such a way. I'll, uh, let me tell you this, this quick story. And is, you may not think this re- reflects or, or connects to morality, uh, but, but for me it does. Uh, some of you know that I'm kind of a, a hobbyist guitarist. I, I love uh, guitars and, and learning how to play guitar and, and reading about guitars and uh, my, my, my friend Michael Martin and, and another guy a few years ago, Steve Brown, helped me build a, a guitar and it's, it's beautiful, it's fantastic. Uh, so I'm, I, I like guitars and I study them and I like 
different kinds of wood and stuff like this. Well, this uh, last week, tail end of last week, I guess it was, um, I, 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 don't, I decided that I wanted a maple-bodied guitar, all right? Uh, that doesn't mean anything to most of y'all, but I wanted a maple-bodied guitar, and I found a guy on, yes, I found a guy on Craigslist that had uh, a maple-bodied guitar that he was uh, selling. And so I emailed him and said, listen, I, I don't know if you'd be interested, but uh, I have a Martin triple uh, uh, O. CX1, and um, I don't wonder if you'd be interested in trading your uh, Fender DG22CE, uh, maple-bodied, full maple-bodied, and, and I thought, and so the guy even back, he says, you know what, I, I think I'd like to do that. He said, I got, you know, other guitars, he said, but I just don't play this one anymore, so let's meet. So we meet, and he takes the Martin, and he, and he likes it, and I play the Fender, and I really like it, and, uh, and so you know, we swap. He says, yeah, let's do it, let's, let's make the swap, and it was good. Man, I love, I was wearing that Fender out. Uh, you know, in, in my spare time, uh, I was uh, doing a little bit of playing. I really liked the action of it, and it was just the sound of the maple body. It was really nice. And then the guy emails me about three days later, and he says, listen, uh, this Martin is harder to play than I thought it would. Uh, I- I'd like to swap back. Oh. oh, really? I thought we'd trade it. I thought we'd trade it. Now, that's what most people say. Well, email him back and say... Uh, too bad, dude. We trade it. And I, didn't, <laughs> I traded him back. I did. I took it up there, and he said, oh, I'm sorry it didn't work out. I said, yeah, I'm sorry, too. I said, let me keep it long enough to fall in love with it. But listen, here's the deal. Um, you say, well, that, I don't see where that's morality. Listen, it would have been a morality issue for him. You understand? And, and as far as I know, this gentleman does not know Jesus. And, and by the way, as a result of it, I got to share Christ with him a little bit anyway. It, at least it was a start. But it would have been a moral issue to him. He would have said, I can't believe that guy. I, I would have given him his guitar back if he hadn't liked it. You see, even if it costs you something, even if you think, well, that, that really, sometimes we've got to go above and beyond to distinguish ourselves in a way that somebody, well, they, they, really, they really believe that stuff. All right, come on, we've got to move on, don't we? Um, do we distinguish ourselves uh, to our enemy? That's the third one. Do we distinguish ourselves to our enemy? Uh, look at verse uh, 6 through 8. Uh, our abilities, uh, with our morality, then verse 6, or the, the, the third one, uh, beginning of verse 6. Then these uh, commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. Uh, king Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, uh, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials, the governors, have all consulted together that the king should establish a statute. Liars, they lied. A statute enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. And now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. They hated Daniel. Hated him. And what had Daniel ever done to them? Matter of fact, he saved their lives a couple of times, if you remember. But what had Daniel ever done except try and live morally and honor God with his life and treat all people equally? They hated him. They hated uh, the success that he had and how he had distinguished himself. They hated the fact that he had the king's favor. They hated the fact that the king was going to promote him even above. They were jealous of what he had and where he was going. They hated him. But I want you to know that there was something else going on in this situation, or more properly, there was someone else at work in this situation. For sure, these guys were envious. They were jealous of Daniel. 
and his success and the way he was distinguishing himself. There's no question about that. But let me tell you who hated him even worse. Satan. The, the demonic, underlying demonic work that's going on in the world. And Daniel had distinguished himself to our enemy. He had, he had made such a... Listen, here's a couple things that you can always count on when it comes to Satan. All right? If you want to fill in blanks, you can do that. Here's a couple things you can count on. One, Satan is always trying to stop God's glory. Now, listen, that is just a fact. Satan is always trying to stop God's glory. When, when we distinguish ourselves, we being a follower of the true God, when we distinguish ourselves, when we live our life in such a way that, that it stands out, when we do that, guess what happens? God is illuminated, for lack of a better term. God is lifted up. He is, people are able to see God more clearly. They're able to see God's love. They're able to see God's compassion. They're able to see God's power at work in and through our lives. They're able to see God more clearly. And when that happens, this is a principle of, of, of the life we live. When that happens, when people see that, some people come to know this God in a personal, living, intimate way. They come to know him as a result of it. They discover that he is a God who loves them. They discover that he is a God who has a plan for their life. They discover that he is a God who has provided a way that their sins might be forgiven. Most importantly of all, they discover that they can actually know this God of, of everything, that they can know him personally and permanently in their lives. And Satan hates that. Ever since Satan fell, you can go back and read it in the book of Isaiah, but ever since Satan fell... It was based on his pride. It was based on the fact that he wanted what only God rightfully deserves. Praise, honor, glory, worship. Satan wanted that for himself, still wants that for himself. And so anywhere, anyway, anytime that he can, he will steal or attempt to steal the glory that rightfully belongs to God. You can just put it down. He will take any opportunity in your life. If he can take glory that rightfully belongs to God, if he can take it somehow out of out of your life or out of your circumstances or the way that you're, you're reacting, if he can do that, he will do that. Always. You can count on that. Second thing you always count on from Satan, he's, Satan is, all, is trying to stop God's story. Now, if, you've, uh, if you are familiar with the story or if you've been with us uh, through this series, you know that God had already declared way back, God had already declared exactly what he was going to do with the nation of Israel. Numerous Old Testament prophets had already said uh, that God is going to uh, allow the Israelites to be carried off into captivity because they had, they had turned their backs on God. They become arrogant and self-sufficient and decided that they didn't need God in their lives. And so God had already said, I'm going to allow them to be carried off into captivity. I'm going to allow the Babylonians to conquer them. But, and here's what God had already also declared, but I will not leave them there. The time will come when I will bring them back out of captivity and I will bring them back into the land that I promised to their father Abraham. Said, done, in the book. Well, Satan knows that. I suspect Satan knows God's word better than any of us in here. He knows exactly what God has said, exactly what God has declared. And so, in Satan's mind, if he can halt, if he can stop, if he can somehow change the story that God has already declared, the plan that God already has, then he can count, he can, he can cast dispersion on the word of God. He can cause people to doubt the word of God and, and to say, well, I don't know if, if we can trust this thing, if he can just change the plan, if he can stop it somewhere along the way. And Satan knows that Daniel is a key part of God's plan to bring Israel back into the land. 
He's setting this all up. He's, he's, he's rising Daniel up to this position of power and, and, and where he's looked at well by the king. And so there's going to come that place as a result of what Daniel built. There's going to come that time when, when Cyrus the king sends Israel back to their homeland. Satan knows that. And if he can take out Daniel, then in his mind he figures he can stop God's plan. And then he can cause people to doubt God's word. Stop the story. He's, he's always trying to do that. By the way, that's, he's always done that. That's one of been Satan's main ploys is to try and cast dispersion on the word of God, cause people to doubt the, the inerrancy and the infallibility of the word of God. Do you remember all the way back in the book of Genesis? Do you remember the story of the fall of, of Adam and Eve? Look, look at Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, watch this, indeed, has God said, you hear it, you see it? Has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? No, not what he said. But you can see where he's going with this. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, just, just to get you to doubt the authority and the accuracy of God's word in some way, that's what he's always going to try and do. He still does it today. Uh, men like Charles Darwin and, and others after him have, have said, God, God didn't create the earth. He didn't create the, the inhabitants of the third. He didn't create the creatures. It just happened. It was, it, you could call it a big accident, but it was just an evolutionary process that just, that just happened. And they distort and they twist the evidence enough to cause people, oh, well, well, well maybe Genesis 1 and 2 isn't right. That's, that's, that's just what he, what he does. Do we distinguish ourselves to our enemy? That's what I'm asking. Do we distinguish ourselves to our enemy? Do we stand out in such a way that he's, he's aware that we are here? Let me put it another way. Look, look, look at this. If my idea of being a follower of Jesus doesn't even catch the devil's attention, what does that say about the kind of follower of Jesus that I really am? If, if he doesn't even know or care that I'm, if, if my life is so insignificant, if I'm not distinguishing myself in any way to the glory of God, what does that say about who I am as a follower of Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? Now somebody might be listening to this and say, well, <laughs> why would I want to do that? Why would I want to stand up for the devil to take shots at me? I read something in Ephesians about them fiery darts coming at me. Why, why would I want to stand up and say, here am I, put a big bullseye on myself, shoot at me, come at me. Why would I want to do that? Oh, I don't know. Maybe for the glory of God and so that the story of God can continue so that people can come into a relationship with Jesus Christ their eternal destinies can be changed. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it's worth that. Daniel just decided he, he, he was going to distinguish himself to his enemies. He was just going to be the, the person that he was. He was going to stand up and they hated him, but Satan hated him even worse because of the impact and the difference that he was making in the world around us. Okay, real quickly, one Final idea I need to give you. Do we distinguish ourselves for our consistency? Now look at uh, verse 9. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, uh, that is the injunction, 
Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. He continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Do you see? Nothing changed for Daniel. The Daniel who went into his room and went up to his rooftop and knelt and prayed three times a day, the, the Daniel who did that before the injunction was the same Daniel who did that after the injunction. Nothing changed for Daniel. He was consistently Daniel. He was consistently a man of God, pursuing the, the righteousness of God and, and desiring to glorify God with his life. Nothing changed. He was just consistent in who he was. As a matter of fact, that's exactly how uh, his enemies knew that they would catch him. They, they had already figured out that they were never going to catch him in some type of immoral or improper behavior, but they knew that Daniel was a man of consistency. They knew that Daniel believed what he, what he, that he lived what he believed, and they knew they would find him in his rooftop kneeling down and praying to his God. That's the whole reason they cooked up the scheme in the first place. Wow. To be that consistent in my life as a follower of Jesus Christ that people know exactly what, what I am and and what I stand for, and where I'll be, and what I'll be doing. I think that's amazing. Do we distinguish ourselves with our consistency? I, uh, I was trying to share the message of Jesus with a gentleman one time. And in the course of the conversation, he asked me, do you go to so-and-so church? And he said the name of the church. And I said, yeah, yes, I do. And he said, and he said a man's name. He said, so-and-so goes to your church. And I said, yes, he does. As a matter of fact, he, he's one of our deacons. And I thought, this is great. This is, he already, he's already got a connection in the church. And I said, do you, you know him? He says, yeah, I know him. I work with him. Said, as a matter of fact, he's my supervisor, boss. I can't remember what he said. He, he's my supervisor. And this is what he said. And if that's how Christians act, I don't have anything to do with it. And he turned around and walked off. Consistency. Can I ask, can I ask this question? And then we'll go. I, I promise we'll close. Can I ask you this question? This is, and this is hard, all right? This is hard. Would your wife or your husband or your children, would they say that the man you are in here on Sunday is the man that they see in their house Monday through Saturday? Would the people that work with you or other students at school or your neighbors, would they say, yep, I, I know what that guy believes. He, he lives it out. It's not a Sunday go to meeting thing for him. This guy lives this thing out. It's cons- he's consistent in it all the time. You understand what I'm saying? There's consistency in our lives that distinguish ourselves from those around us. Is that what they would say? You and I should distinguish ourselves as Daniel distinguished himself. We, we probably won't ever be able to interpret dreams. But that doesn't mean we don't have abilities. And we can use those abilities in such a way that bring glory to God. And our morality standards should be such that it distinguishes ourselves from the world. Can I just tell you that? That's really not that hard these days. The world in which we live is so, so corrupt. It's lowered the bar so low that it really don't take much even to, to stand out in our morality. Do we distinguish ourselves to our enemy? Does he know that we're here? Can I tell you this? As, no, I'm not, this is God honest as I can be. I want the devil to be glad when I'm gone. I do. I, I, I do. Can I, and I'll tell you this, and I'll close. Regarding our enemy. I think, I really, I really think that, I think cross-culture church makes Satan nervous. 
I do. I think that he can see the potential. I think he sees the, the, the work ethic and the giving spirit and the attitudes and the, and the servant lives of the people that are currently a part of this. I think he looks around at those demographics that we talked about and he knows how many people are lost without Christ and how many people that, that, that we could reach. I think it makes him nervous it, it, because he knows what would happen if, if we, seriously, all of us got hot-hearted to share the message of Jesus with those around us and be excited about what God is doing in this place so much so that we can't shut up about it. I think it makes him nervous, but I'll say this, that's not enough. It's not enough for cross-culture church to make Satan nervous. I want cross-culture church to make Satan mad because, because lives are being changed, because people are coming in, because baptismal waters are, are flowing and people are being baptized and people are committing their lives to Christ and committing their lives to, to ministry and, and going and serving all over the world and it just absolutely driving him insane because God is being glorified and there's not a thing he can do to steal it if, if, if we are doing what we're supposed to do and because the story is continuing. Distinguish ourselves. Ability, morality, enemy, and consistency. Daniel certainly distinguished himself, wouldn't you say? As a young man taken to a strange land, Daniel stood up for God and stood up against the enemies of God. And as we saw today, even in the twilight of his life, Daniel was still distinguishing himself as a man who lived for God. Pastor Clay asks some tough questions in regards to distinguishing ourselves in the world we live in. We pray that all of us consider those challenging questions and then make the determination that we are going to live for Him. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water. I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.